There once was a villain named Jack, whom a cretin attacked from the back. Jack kept his cool and ignored the fool, notched the winner and said have some of that. This is the Totally Football League show. So, what are we going to talk about today then? Much happened in the AFL this past weekend? Yes, loads, as usual. Much, but not all, of these shenanigans took place in the West Midlands, from the idiots of St Andrews to the baffling baggies who don't want more, more, more. The madness wasn't confined to the second city, though. It all kicked off at Wickham, whilst at Port Vale, a red card protest went down only for the Valiants to dismiss high-flying Mansfield. Oh, and in happy news, Blackpool are back, Blackpool are back, woe, woe. I'm not Caroline, I'm Matt Davis-Adams, filling in for Caroline. A substitute presenter then. Luckily, we're at full strength in terms of the rest of the lineup. First up, according to his SkySports.com profile, all bar one of the seven transfer fees he commanded in his playing career were undisclosed. I can reveal that all it cost us to sign him up was a Waitrose voucher and a loaf of his favourite artisanal sourdough. So big welcome back to Super Sam Parking. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? All right, thank you. And alongside Sam, a man after my own heart, he tweeted on Monday, looking forward to another visit to the city ground on Weds. Forest v Villa has become a very important game in the playoff race. Clearly a cerebral, erudite and frankly damn good-looking pundit. Good morning, Adrian Clark. <laughs> Hello, good morning. <laughs> Completing our lineup. Hey, Bolton won a game. We're not really going to have time to focus on that, though, I'm afraid. Thanks for coming anyway to Joe Crilly from William Hill. Hello. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm bored of talking about Bolton anyway. All right. Well, do you know who was sat in the chair that you're sat in now just before you? I have no idea, no. Former Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield. So that's exciting. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you've got to live up to today. Uh, let's get to it, shall we? You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. In the Championship, Sheffield United got the better of Rotherham to briefly go into the automatic promotion places, but Patrick Bamford's early winner at Bristol City ensured it was Leeds who ended the day in second place. West Brom and Derby could both only draw at home, whilst Middlesbrough were beaten on their own patch, as Brentford left the Riverside with three points. Three second-half goals saw Forrest pass Hull at the city ground, Preston won at Blackburn, and a tumultuous week for Bolton had a very happy ending as they plunged Millwall deeper into the soup. And there are now just 10 games of the season left. We've got to start with the second City derby, though. Birmingham nil, Aston Villa won, Jack Grealish attacked, then fights back on the pitch, scoring the winner. Where are we standing on this one, Adrian? I'll come to you first. 14 weeks in prison for the perpetrator. We don't know what Birmingham are getting at the time of recording it. Is that about right? Is it too lenient, too harsh? Uh, My initial reaction was that it was too lenient, really. I I think that six months in prison would be a a proper deterrent. Therefore, that you sentence whoever did it, the assailant, to a year. I think that 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 would be a stronger message to send out to any idiots that that are contemplating doing the same thing because... You know, effectively, what what might be six weeks in jail it might not be enough to dissuade, believe it or not, a, a number of people trying to claim notoriety by going and, and hitting a player. I mean, Jack Grealish incredibly lucky that he wasn't hurt hurt further. He could easily have been hit, you know, on the temple. He was caught on the neck, really, wasn't he? It was if there was a weapon there, that would that would have been horrendous. So no, it's it's a real shame. What what do we do about it? I don't know. I, I don't agree. I fundamentally don't agree with points penalties. I really don't. This is based on the fact that you could get people, for example, you could it could have been a a fan of a different club that 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 gets into the home end or away end, does that in, in with a determination to get a certain club deducted points. So so I don't think that's right. 
I think the only way we can we can cure this 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 ill is to to be tougher on the on the idiots that do it. Sam, what was so disturbing for me about it, apart from the fact that he got on and managed to make contact, was that he was greeted like a hero, and you know he was cheered off, and Grealish was booed every time he got the ball. I was thinking. An appropriate punishment for Birmingham would be the rest of your home games this season are played behind closed doors. Is that a bit draconian? Would that? Would that? Because I feel like that would have an impact on supporters self-policing. You know, if this is what's going to happen, then we want to make sure that it doesn't. And initially, yeah, that was probably my reaction too. But having had uh, the the luxury of a few days to think about it, I'm, I'm with Adrian. You can't punish, I don't think, the team, and that could have a negative effect if they can't play in front of their own supporters. I think. The sentence has to be strong enough to be a deterrent. Uh, it's one of the most despicable things I've seen on a football pitch ever, but he's been sent to prison now. This sentence has been handed out very, very quickly. It can have an impact on his future, professionally, his, his relationships moving forward. Hopefully he can be re- rehabilitated. But the message is you're taken from that pitch, you're taken to prison, you're sentenced and... Um, You're not going to be allowed back in football for 10 years, I think it is. So hopefully that's enough. The message has to be clear for the supporters. You can't stop it. There's no solution. It's one idiot in 30,000 people. We can talk about this all day. There's there's various things been said the last few days. I don't think it's ever going to stop one idiot from breaching the the security and getting on. The the two points I wanted to make, which is more, you know, me as an an ex-footballer, if Jack Grealish would have been injured... And not just physically, but if mentally he felt he couldn't continue, which was a realistic proposition for someone who's just been assaulted, the game could quite easily have been abandoned. And then there could have been legal action moving forward. With that as well, the Birmingham City players' reaction, they showed compassion straight away towards Jack Grealish. These are people that will live in the same area, will eat in the same restaurants. Um, I think it probably had a negative effect on the Birmingham players moving forward the the result became irrelevant so the Birmingham fan had nothing to gain from doing that it was a ridiculous act and I think it probably ultimately had a bit of an impact on those home players as well you say he had nothing to gain but what he wanted was the notoriety and prosecuting Jonathan Purser said the officer who was carrying Mitchell off the pitch said Mitchell thought Mr Grealish was a knob right so this is the level of brain and intelligence that we're talking about which is why I think that maybe the only way that you can stop people doing this is to punish the team because they are so tribalistic about the team that hey I'll take a spell in jail because I managed to throw a punch be. That's Grealish. the thing I know that this guy was but but they might not be and if you, you had the threat of stadium bans or points deductions then you could get somebody from a different club in theory trying to do this to, to, to help their club and that, that's, that's the point that I'm making. I, you know that football fans, you know, they could surely be very creative in, in, in their thinking. So, no, I, I'm with Sam completely on this one. I don't think Birmingham City should should uh, should pay a heavy, heavy penalty for this. It's, it's so hard to stop. It's sort of reflective of society, I suppose, as well, isn't it? And without being too high and mighty about it, it's a football game at the end of the day. We all love football and passionate about it and, and love our clubs, but... There's places you just don't go, and the pitch is one of those. Anyway, over on the other side of Birmingham, Darren Moore sacked after West Brom draw 1-1 with Ipswich, as producer Abby points out, and anyone not beating Ipswich is having a bad one. We've had a couple of days to, to digest this too. Sam, do you think he would have gone if they'd won the game? No, probably not. I think when you're playing against the bottom team, you know, Ipswich in dire straits, you... 
you're expecting West Brom to win and that's probably uh, been the final nail in the coffin. Uh, not surprised. I was on a train travelling back when I saw it and I think because obviously we talk about it week after week and we see the reaction of the West Brom supporters in recent times, they've not been happy. But I think there's been a number of factors. I, th- I think we can't underplay losing Harvey Barnes. I think that is enormous. Even in the two systems that they've deployed this season, he's been the best player. Arguably, he could have been the championship player of the season. But I'm confused because they've played those two different systems. Why didn't he show that flexibility, maybe going back to what he did at the start of the season, trying to get Rodriguez and Gale in tandem at the top? I think the same problems with the defence have persisted, whatever they've done. Right side has been a problem. And at the weekend, it was Bartley and um, Adara Bayo defensively oh, still bad, and still they? trying yeah. to play out Adrian as well I mean I think that's what's frustrated the, the supporters even though it's been two different systems there's still been a reliance on trying to play into midfield and I don't think they've had the players capable so I think Darren Moore tactically is what the supporters are frustrated about but in an ideal world you give them till the end of the season it's a business at yeah. the end of the day and those owners directors will be meeting they would have had a clear plan for the season to be in a particular spot and he's probably not met you know those hopes the owner in China doesn't care particularly that Darren Moore was um, you know a a wholehearted player for West Brom a number of years ago no he doesn't no absolutely but at least give him the chance to fail name me a manager in the championship that's had a perfect season that hasn't made mistakes that hasn't put players in positions that the supporters didn't agree with that's made tactical choices that didn't go down well they all have and they're fourth so I just I, I think it is one of the harshest sackers that I've that I've ever heard of, especially when you consider that West Brom were a dull defensive team that played cornerball until he arrived. He's turned them into an attacking force that score goals that entertain their own fans, and there is no divine right to to be better than Norwich, Sheffield United, or Leeds. I, I think he's done very very well, and that it's incredibly harsh. One person with a vested interest in the club is Josh Bland from the Boyncast, which is a great name for a podcast. Josh. General surprise at Darren Moore getting sacked from people who don't support West Brom. What was your take on it at the time and a couple of days later? At the time, it was kind of, yeah, generally sharing in the surprise of the sort of the general footballing world. Performances haven't been great in the last kind of couple of weeks. It wasn't something that I necessarily saw leading to Darren Moore getting the chop. I don't like the decision. I find it really unpalatable and I don't agree with it. But I think I sort of understand the rationale behind it. And I think it's really the act of a, of a board that he's, you know, got in a crippled by anxiety really about not going up into the Premier League and the sort of financial ramifications of failure to get promotion this season. So it's more that than the home form, which we've heard has been another key factor in it. No wins in the league since Boxing Day, two of the last 12. You think it's more the yeah. fact that they want promotion straight away rather than that there's been a bit of unrest amongst the natives? There has been sort of increasing fan unrest, but this isn't a decision that has been brought about by fan unrest, I don't think. We've got an owner who wants the club to be self-sustaining, can't really, can't and won't pump money into the club. And if we're (laughs) basically we're in a quite a worrying situation if we don't go up in the next couple of seasons, I think. Josh, it seems to be the home form that's ultimately done for him. We're hearing a lot of talk about the tactics, uh, getting that wrong. Where does the the, the blame lie, do you think? Because obviously he's got Graham Jones there as well, who's supposedly a a very up-and-coming coach. What could he have done differently in those home games with the players that he had at his disposal? It's, it's very, very difficult to say. I mean, I, do, I think one of the trends that really emerged from his sort of tenure was, and I think it's something that you guys have picked up on uh, on the pod as well, is that the, there were very similar patterns emerging in terms of the, the way that we were trying to play 
stylistically, sort of playing ourselves into trouble, trying to pass out from the back, lacking penetration against teams that were employing a low block. And I think it's really like a repeated failure to utilise key players in the squad in, in strong positions as well that I think a lot of fans and, and certainly the board have been bemused at, especially the likes of Dwight Gale have been you know, forced out wide. Adara Boyer, who's a, by trade a centre-back, being played out of position of full-back as well at times. Yeah, look, I was just saying that, that tell me a manager that doesn't make mistakes, that doesn't doesn't make decisions that, that fans don't admire. All I say is that... that Daniel Farker at Norwich was getting a lot of flack last season, but he was given time to build. Chris Wilder had a great start last season, fell away shockingly, but they didn't panic. They stuck with him. They, those two managers have been allowed time to build, maybe more deserve that time. If we flip it around then, who who do you fancy for the gig? I mean, Jukanovic is, is one name. Wagner is, a, is another. Some big names have been mooted. Who, who do you want? Because from the outside looking in, I think it needs to be someone that, that can shore you up at the back. My, my gut is Jukanovic, but again, you, you look at what his Fulham team at the start of the season, and, and yeah, I know there's sort of mitigating factors around the transfers and maybe signing players that he didn't really want, but one of the reasons that Fulham are in the mess that they're in at the moment is because of sort of they were shocking defensively under Jukanovic. I can't really call who will be our manager sort of in, in a few days' time or indeed where we'll finish the season. Well, Josh, all the best for the rest of the season, and thanks for joining us today. No worries at all. Cheers. That's Josh Bland from the Boyncast. Joe, in terms of odds for the next West Brom manager, we're hearing as we record that Jukanovic might even be in talks with the club. He might even be in place by the time people hear this. How how heavy a favourite is he? Yeah, he was 1-6 to six last night and we took the market down uh, because it was believed that he was having continued talks today as we speak. Other names that were in the market, Moyes, Rowett, Lee Johnson, Michael Appleton, same old names, uh, Carviel. Wagner was one of the, the favourites, but he ruled himself out, so he drifted somewhat in the market. Carvial's a new Pardew, isn't he, basically, in betting markets? Just, just well, it's, funny, it's funny you mentioned that. Late last night, Pardew snuck onto the list at 50-1. to 1. <laughs> It's like people forget that he managed West Brom before and he was absolutely terrible at it. All right, so that's West Brom. We're thinking now then, are we, Adrian, that it's a three-horse race for the top two places. They all won their games this weekend. If we look at what they've got coming up, midweek, Norwich, Hull at home, Sheffield United, Brentford at home. Leeds, Reading away, all three of those look winnable games. Yeah, I would expect them to, to all win, but, but you never know in the Championship as, a, as we all know too well. So no, I, I think for a long while it's been a three-horse race. I think they're, by some distance the the three best teams with the clear identity. I've been quite unimpressed really with everyone else at the moment. They're not in great nick, are they? West Brom are in poor form, Borough losing at home to Brentford. I've, I've long been saying that, that of all of them, all of the stayers in this sort of marathon race, I would expect them to to drop out. Derby have been unconvincing. Bristol City's great run has come to a crashing halt. So, so you are now beginning to look outside of those guys and thinking who who might leapfrog in there. And and I guess your Prestons, Forest, Villas maybe are the ones now to keep your eye on. Sam Adrian mentioned Preston there. One 0 win for them at Blackburn. Uh, our man Simon Watts with the stats here. Preston's first double over Rovers in forty years. Alex Neil, the Derby specialist, never lost at an old farm either. They're ten unbeaten now, five consecutive away wins. They've gone under the radar and and now they're kind of above it. Do you give them any chance of making the top six? Outside chance. They've got momentum. I think Brentford as well have put themselves in. 
uh, with an outside chance they're in tremendous form and just starting to turn their away form around as well they've had a couple of uh, good results on the road but but Preston at the weekend I think Blackburn looked like it dictated the, the, the majority of the possession and interesting to see Alec Neal saying that he kind of got a, I don't know if he got a steer but he preempted what they were going to do with their tactics uh, he knew they were going to play a, a I think it was a 3-4-3 that Blackburn lined up with so they had a couple of days to work on that on the training ground Came away with the result and, and missing a couple of big players as well, Potts and Barkhausen, to come back in as well. So they just need to start turning those draws at home into into victories. If they can do that, they have the momentum. They're on a great run, as Brentford are. So never say never, but I, I, I see it probably being a, a fight between, I think, Forrest and Derby for that last spot. Ooh. Speaking of Forrest... A listener who shall remain anonymous has been in touch. Please ask Matt Davis-Adams to stop prefixing Knott's Forest, Knott's, with two-time European champions as you'll lose at least one listener to your excellent array of podcasts if he keeps persisting with this. <laughs> it's bad enough that the podcasts are overly reliant on Forest fans, but for Matt to constantly refer to distant, undeserved success is galling to say the least. Regards. Tell us about Pele. <laughs> it might be um, distant success, those European cups, but I think to call it undeserved is uh, perhaps a stretch. But, but you know, I know when to move on, that self-improvement is a, is a passion of mine. So 1992 Simog Cup winners Nottingham Forest beat Hull 3-0 at the city ground. Uh, all the goals in the second half. As you say, Pele made his debut, which was nice to see. Uh, and Joao Carvalho got a goal, Adrian. Yeah. Forest record by, he struggled. Martin O'Neill's dropped him from the team. Yeah. He's come on and made an impact. Fact, that's going to potentially be massive for Forrest for the remainder of the season Definitely. if he can find some form. He might be the super sub. He might be that get that game changer for Forrest. You don't have to... There's this is misconception often among players themselves that if you're left out of the starting lineup, you're not important. That's absolutely rubbish because how often do we talk about subs coming on and changing games? And, and some players are actually better in, sh- in short bursts, aren't they, in 20, 30-minute bursts. Maybe Carvalho's that guy. I know you paid a lot of money for him and they, he should be able to do the business over 90. But but given the football that, that Forrest are playing under Martin O'Neill, and it's not bad football, but it is what I'd call percentage-slash-functional football, then maybe he isn't suited to, to playing from the start. He might be your impact guy. Lolly is the main man, isn't he? If he stays fit... Forest have got a chance I really believe that because he's a driving force it's not just about what he produces like goals and assists and chances but it's the way he runs at players he gives the team impetus and if he stays fit and this back four that O'Neill has, has found now continue to be as solid as they are particularly at home then it'd be silly to rule them out we go to the bottom of the table Sam Reading 3 Wigan 2 some wonderful manager quotes here 88th minute Wigan are 2-1 up probably done enough Mo Barrow equalises on 89 97th minute Yaku Mate scores the winner what about the drop ball chaos why don't we just have contested drop balls anyway would be my argument but was that very unsporting or is that just what happens when you're down amongst the dead men and desperate for points oh um, unsporting I haven't seen it enough times really to pass comment exactly on the what happened prior to the drop ball, but I think it's Morsi, isn't it, who just kind of pokes the ball into no man's land. They're expecting it to go back to the, the Reading goalkeeper. They can regain their shape as it was one of the centre-halves well, pops it into... No, he was going to kick it back himself, but he got, kind of got blocked off yeah. and Reading decided we'll just play on. We're not going to go back to the keeper. Yeah, yeah. And what happened, because Morsi contested it and he was about to kick the ball back, he's then in, well in advance of a position he would be if he was going to defend from the position where they started the attack. So... 
for that reason, I do, I do think it was naughty. I really yeah, yeah, I mean, it's probably the defining moment of the game because it was a bit, I think it was a bit of a messy game, but in terms of the excitement for both sets of supporters, well, for the Reading supporters, it was in, incredible. And Barrow, this could be the turning point, two huge goals in the space of a week to get in the victory. And I, I understand the atmosphere at full time. The manager was doing a lap of honour. Tunes were on and this could be a huge moment in, in Reading's season. Word for the goalkeeper, I know Adrian spoke about him last week. At 2-1, he made an exquisite save. So, major reason for them getting maximum points as well. Um, those manager quotes, slightly contrasting. Paul Cook, what can I say? How can you best describe it? You just don't feel good. Jose Gomez, after this result, I'm 10 years younger. I will live forever. <laughs> <laughs> Callum on Twitter at The Totally Show asks, Jose Gomez, thoughts? I still think it's a bit early to say. I, li- I like the football that he's trying to play. It's certainly better to watch, I think, for Reading fans than, than what was on offer before. But I think those celebrations that Sam were talking about might still be a little bit premature. They're definitely in the race for relegation I don't think they're out of it by any stretch of the imagination but look no I mean he's not been terrible he's implemented his style very quickly and he's got a tune hasn't he out of out of some key players like Barrow who's very inconsistent Swift we saw score a great free kick in that game and Mate interesting on Mate I was reading that he was going to leave in January and that the owner or chairman said said no you're not going anywhere and he scored. Obviously, he came good, and he, he scored first goal since November. So, so they'd be pleased they hung on to him. Now he's his best mate. Eh? <laughs> first back-to-back wins, four hundred and sixty-two days. Wow. We've said for weeks and and getting on for months that Ipswich are definitely down. What what are we thinking about the rest? We've got Bolton, Rotherham, Reading, Millwall, and Wigan. Pretty much the teams now involved. I think we'd probably say everybody else is safe. Sam Wigan struggling all of a sudden. I mean, do you think that they've got enough to stay up? It's really strange with Wigan because look at it at the start of the season and I remember talking about just a few signings, just a few additions. It was going to be continuity from last season and it's almost a new team after the January window. Uh, we thought it was going to be about Grigg and, and Powell and then all these new signings. It's almost uh, a manager that's having to try and get a tune out of pretty much a new side. So difficult I mean Reese James we've spoken about a lot still getting loads of plaudits and he was I think the main supply line again at the weekend seemed to be clearing ball after ball from the right hand side uh, Reading were so I don't know it's it's two spots for five teams isn't it it's going to go right down to the wire because Joe's here this afternoon I, I can't definitively say that Bolton won't get out of it even though there's a, a quite a gap developed there uh, over the last few weeks Well, Bolton have got Wigan in a couple of weeks. They've also got Sheffield Wednesday at home next. Sheffield Wednesday in great form. And we spoke about Rotherham a bit last week, Adrian, and the fight that they've got. Obviously, they they were beaten, as you might expect them to have been at Bramall Lane at the weekend. But QPR in their next game, they'll need to get something out of that because after that, they've got Norwich, Derby, and then in April, they play Forest, Villa, Stoke, Swansea, Birmingham and West Brom. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it the hard way. Yeah, they've got a tough run in, haven't they, Rotherham? I love their spirit. I I really think that they have got a great chance of surviving. What I'll say in their favour is that even though they've got to play some really tough games, a lot of them are at home. If you cast your mind back to, I think Derby definitely lost there. They've taken a few scalps on home turf. Uh, Yeah, Derby it was. They've beaten Preston there, beaten Swansea. Some of the teams... If they, if they rock up there thinking it's going to be an easy ride, it really won't be. So it, it'll be Rotherham's home form that, that saves them if, if they are to survive. But but yeah, hand on heart, looking at the run in, you'd say it'll be them. 
Bolton and Ipswich. But of the rest, I still think Reading are in the most danger. The boys have had their opinion, Joe. What are William Hill saying about who this week looks like they're going down? Let's take Ipswich out of the equation. They're, what, a million to one on, more or less. Uh, well, Adrian said... Ipswich, Bolton, Rotherham, they're the three teams that are odds on. Bolton 1-16, to Rotherham 4-7. to Well, that's the championship wrapped up. Next, we'll go to League One. Make this an every Saturday super with the Super Saturday Reloaded coupon from William Hill. Available in all William Hill branches across the UK. With more prizes on offer than ever before, your new Super Saturday competitions offer you the chance to win a share of £1 million and some additional extra goodies specific to your region. All you have to do is select the number of goals, corners and cards across three selected football matches. Super Saturday football and racing competitions are free to enter when you bet £10 at your local William Hill. T's and C's apply. You can find out more at williamhill.com. And remember, when the fun stops, stop. Oh, League One, there you go again with your middle child syndrome. Look at me, I'm like a squirrel in a pedal bin, totally unpredictable and desperate for attention. And what happened then? Well, Blackpool scored a stoppage time equaliser against Southend in front of 15,871 at Bloomfield Road. Bradford beat Peterborough in Gary Bowyer's first game in charge of the Bantams. Managerless Rochdale beat Shrewsbury and leaders Luton were held to a goalless draw at Plymouth. But good news for them on Monday night as Luton Council approved Newlands Park, paving the way for the new stadium. What a time to be a Luton fan. Uh, Before we get on to more fan positivity up north, it's worth reading the opening line of Luton's club statement following Monday night's news. In years to come, the 11th of March 2019 will be remembered as one of the most important days in the entire history of Luton Town Football Club, etc. And so on, 12 years ago, the club almost disappeared. And amongst all the doom and gloom we're reading in football at the moment, this is a reminder of the good the beautiful game can do. Yeah, good on them. To the North End, where Blackpool fans can be Blackpool fans again. 2-2 against Southend. The supporters celebrating the end of their near four-year boycott with a 96-minute equaliser against the Shrimpers. Brilliant result for Blackpool all round. Just the fact that they were back there, Sam, essentially. But nice to have that that finish to the game for them as well to, to mean that they went home relatively happy. Oh, definitely. I watched some of the footage of the, the pre-match kind of march or whatever it was across the seafront. It was, it was brilliant and... I was there a couple of years ago covering a game and it was a, uh, it was after there'd been some kind of change in the politics at the club and it was a, a step in the right direction but there was no one there and it was such a bleak place in the middle of the winter with no supporters in there so it looked like a phenomenal atmosphere and thankfully for them they got that glorious last minute own goal one of my favourite goals of the weekend Taylor Moore uh, for Southend I've been wanting to speak about uh, Nandule actually this season because he was at Blackpool and went off to South Africa and it didn't work out for him back at the club. He's been a real talisman for them this season. 12 goals now. Really liked his goal at the weekend. Beautifully found by Feeney and an unerring finish from a tight angle. Simon Cox, though, could have won it for, for Southend. Sent clear. So great point for, for Blackpool and a really positive result considering I think it's a a clear shootout between Doncaster, Peterborough and Blackpool for the last playoff spot. Adrian, it puts a bit of pressure on Terry McPhillips this, doesn't it? Because it's one thing playing in front of an empty stadium yeah. every week. Yeah, I guess so. But I think he'll enjoy it. I, I, 
they're there to support his team, remember. They're not there to get on the team's back. And I think the feel-good factor of just being able to return to the ground will will ensure that, that he's given an easy ride no matter what happens. It's just all positivity for Blackpool at the moment. That, that might turn out to be a really, really big goal. Felt for Southend. I mean, obviously, one of my former teams. Maybe they deserve better. Great to see Rob Keenan. Obviously, his story was over overshadowed a little bit. But he was signed in 2017. It's his first start. Double I mean, knee yeah, surgery. Unbelievable. I remember he came on loan a few years ago when I used to do a lot of commentaries for South End at Roots Hall. And he was brilliant, actually, as a young player on loan. He made a huge difference. Very cultured defender. So, so hopefully he can have an injury-free run. The, the most poignant thing in that build-up that we saw on the, on the, on the EFL show was for me was the the fans cleaning up the ground I thought that was covered in bird poo it was absolutely disgusting wasn't it that the the, the ground had been allowed to fall into that kind of state under the previous ownership so so yeah well done to all involved and uh, yeah onwards and upwards and given the fact that Doncaster and Peterborough are a bit bit iffy at the moment the door is ajar maybe for Blackpool yeah the only minor slight on the day was uh, the pitch invasion that, that followed the equalising goal. Club have put a statement out basically saying don't come onto the pitch, which is kind of the theme of the weekend across football in Britain. Elsewhere, Charlton 2, Portsmouth 1. Portsmouth, we kind of said, hey, they're back last week when they battered Bradford. Turns out they're not. That's only winning eight league games. Sam, watching the highlights of this, something that, that struck me was Johnny Williams seems to have made a real difference to Charlton already. If they can keep him fit, he could be pivotal for them. Yeah, definitely. I'd... I remember, you know, immediately when he signed there, just thinking it adds them a little bit more quality. And Kenny Jacket highlighted the the quality that Charlton have in, in midfield, and we've been saying that all season. Playing a a diamond, uh, Bilek from Arsenal uh, sitting in front of the back four was phenomenal by all accounts for forty five minutes. They've got Cullen as well, and Aribo is one of my favourite players outside the top two divisions, and he scored a. A brilliant first goal. Good value for the win. Charlton in all departments. The energy, but also the quality. And real problems for, for, for Portsmouth still, even though he's kind of gone back to the Hawkins, Lowe and Curtis trio in the last few games. Wrestling around with personnel. And I don't want to say it, but just the midfield. That's where it was won at the weekend. And I think ultimately that's what's going to cost and Ben Portsmouth. Reeves was on the bench as well. And Ben Reeves is a really gifted yeah. young player as well. He's not so young these days. But yeah, yeah, they've got a load of tidy footballers, haven't they, Chan? I think they've got three of the best centre-halves in the division as well mm. to choose from. Big games coming up for these playoff contenders tonight. Doncaster at Blackpool. Peterborough at Wimbledon. Blackpool home to Doncaster, obviously. Uh, elsewhere, Wickham 1-1 Sunderland. All about the end of this game. Um, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Marcus Bean gets sent off after two subbed players have been sent off. It all kicks off on the touchline, essentially. Have you ever seen anything like this in your playing days? Subs getting sent off for each team? I couldn't really tell what the brawl was about. It was just... You want me to tell you? Because yeah. I, I had a, a, a quiet day yesterday. <laughs> Watched it for about three hours. Basically, Sunderland uh, turning the screw. They're one all now. They're up. They're potentially going to nick it at the death. Ball goes out of play. One of the Sunderland support staff is going to retrieve it and obviously throw it to the Sunderland player to get it back into action. The Wickham assistant volleys it in the opposite direction. Honeyman sees this. He comes over, shoves the Wickham assistant. Hence why there's a massive brawl. And what I loved about it, because I've watched it four times, Gareth Ainsworth just basically does nothing 
and Jack Ross does nothing either. Jack Ross doesn't move from the spot. All that Gareth Ainsworth does is try to stop Akin Fenworth from getting involved because he probably would have <laughs> chucked someone into the Chilton Hills. Yeah, so I just loved their reaction. It was genius. One thing Nathan Tyson having a go, I suppose, isn't it? But Akin Fenworth, that, that, that adds a He's whole... He's gone as well a little bit. He's <laughs> gone. And uh, Gareth Ainsworth was like just tug, tugging him back by his bib, I think a, it was. There's a little subplot as well. Uh, George Honeyman of Sunderland had come off a concussion. So, so I don't know what. Like he, he's obviously feeling a bit fuzzy, but but he's he, he's got enough wherewithal to get involved, and you know, I don't know what his state state of mind was at the time on the pitch. Sunderland maintaining their record, only team to score in every game this season. They've kind of responded well to that mini slump that they had, haven't they? It felt big last week that Will Grigg got his first goal from open play in the, in the Checker Trade semi, and they all of a sudden look well positioned to to have a tilt at, at automatic. Yeah, yeah, well, they just yeah. If you if you score in every game, you're you're in every game, aren't you? You're, you've got a chance of winning, and and yeah, as long as they they keep clean sheets, then they they might grind their way to it. I think that Barnsley play play a more exciting brand of football, and that they'll that they'll score more goals than Sunderland, but. They've had a wobble, haven't they, Barnsley, this season in terms of going going on a barren spell. Sunderland have never really had that that terrible patch. If Barnsley were to show that kind of inconsistency again, I think Sunderland the best place because of their solidity to to step in. So we'll see. In the wake of um, all the uh, miserable stuff that's gone on in football, I wanted to say it earlier. There's a brilliant thing on the Roka Report, which is a Sunderland yeah, website I've seen on Twitter. I think it's from the BBC Newcastle phone-in, and it's a 87-year-old Sunderland supporter telling an anecdote about being in the pub, watching the, the Wickham game at the weekend, and a group of Sunderland supporters having a conversation with him, talking about the Checker Trade final, and him saying that it's a bit complicated, given his, his age, how to get a ticket via Ticketmaster, Sunderland supporter, younger chap, goes off with his details, with his season ticket, comes back and they've paid for a ticket for him to go to Wembley. And it's a lovely piece of audio. It almost uh, drew a little tear to the eye. That is lovely. You are a very sweet and sensitive man. The relegation battle is where it is in League One, really. Eight points from 12th to 23rd. Bradford 3, Peterborough 1. Gary Bowyer's first match in charge. Three goals in 16 minutes. Made key changes, including the wonderfully named Hope Akpan to captain. I, I do think we sometimes just skip past Hope Akpan in the way we do with Max Power. Like there is a footballer whose name is Max Power. Uh, Akpan said, we certainly deserved the win. We had a lot to deal with during the first half from Peterborough as we were getting used to the shape. Bowyer, sometimes football's a simple game. If you work very hard, generally you get your rewards. Bradford, they got enough in him to escape the drop. They've got, oh, the, they've squad, got the players, they? yeah, they've definitely got the players. Yeah, if, if Bowie can get that kind of level out of them consistently between now and the end of the season, they'll, they'll actually be fine. They'll, they'll be safe with, with games to spare, potentially, given how tight it is with, with other teams get, likely to get sucked in. They shouldn't be anywhere near there. It was a big call on the captaincy. Obviously, we, we talked about the, the Ferrure last week with uh, O'Connor and Caddis, wasn't it? He'd gone for someone he knows, which is... So he, he might get a little bit of stick in the background because he, he worked with him at Blackburn Rovers, so he'll be getting the son of shouts, I'm sure, in the, in the dressing room. But... Well, at least it's done and dusted. He's gone, right, you're the skipper. No more talk about it. That, that's probably healthy. And they were good goals, weren't they? Butterfield and, and Doyle. Uh, we've talked about Doyle a lot. I know Sam's a big fan. He he should be banging in 20 a season, really, at that level. So, uh, so no, I think that, that win might, might be a turning point. See, I don't think it was a lucky one. And as for Peterborough, Sam, is there maybe a, a lesson for West Brom here in that getting rid of your manager when you're well-placed maybe isn't always a great idea because it's not really happened for Darren Ferguson. 
Quite possibly, but I think I think Steve Evans was getting. I think they were getting fed up with him, to be honest, for a large part of the, the season after that brilliant opening. Uh, a few things transpired, I think, uh, in the squad uh, against him. There was a few incidents, obviously. A few of the players badly went off the boil, uh, who were flying, especially the front players, early part of the season. But yeah, I still fancy Doncaster to maintain their position in there. I think they've got. I think they've got a lot of threats, different threats as well at the top end of the pitch. A lot of goals in it, a nice variety in their play. I think they've got enough to to remain in the playoffs and just uh, keep off the fight of Blackpool and, and Peterborough. Back down to the bottom, big win for managerless Rochdale against fellow strugglers Shrewsbury. Rochdale not going to rush into an appointment by the looks of things, Adrian. And, and I guess if you're winning matches, you don't need to. No, I guess so. Was it Brian Barry Murphy? Was it was in charge, wasn't he, of, of this one? And and it was better defensively. We've spoken about how how dodgy they've been at the back. By all accounts, they they were miles better on set pieces, which has been an Achilles' heel for them all season. I think the keeper's going to be a main man for them between now and the end of the season. I, I've always liked Lonergan. I think he's decent, and he made a good save when they were under the cosh late on. And a little bit like Rotherham, I talked about Rodak earlier on in the season. If Rodak has a has a blinding campaign, Rotherham have got got a chance of survival. He had a blinder, didn't he, at Bramwell Lane at, at the weekend, but it wasn't enough. But I still think Rodak will be key for Rotherham, and I think Lonergan might be the the main man for for Rochdale's hopes of staying in the division. Can he save the day for them? We'll have to wait and see. But that was a big win, wasn't it, against Shrewsbury, who, who probably feel a bit hard done by because they, they they were I think they lost a controversial goal the week before. They've they've they almost got a draw in this one. You wonder whether their morale might be might be sapping. Yeah, they're a point above Sam. Another case maybe of changing the manager and it hasn't had perhaps the effect that they desired. I think they've got two good strikers, Shrewsbury. That's been my take on it the last few weeks. Okunabiri was back in. Um, obviously got Campbell on loan from Stoke, who was a big coup to get to the football club. I think they're going to have enough goals in the tank. But, I mean, that last minute was glorious at the weekend. The the melee and the reaction of the Rochdale fans was just incredible because it ricocheted around, obviously crashed off the bar. Immediately the final whistle went and you could just sense that, that relief. So huge victory for them, but... Yeah, Shrewsbury could have quite easily nicked a point. I think they'll be okay just because I like the two strikers. What about Accrington? What about them in the playoff position earlier on in the season? It's now two points. It's two points. This is a drum you've been banging since have, pre-Christmas, have, isn't I've, it? I did call this one quite early. I'm quite proud of myself. But I won't feel happy if they go down because you know, there's a lot to like about Accrington and Stanley. But the last 12 games, dozen games, which is a good indicator of form, they've been the second worst team. Rochdale are the only ones that have got fewer points. So I don't know where they stand in the in the relegation. I'd say you must you need to scroll through a few pages, Joe, I'd imagine, to get through the candidates. But, but Accrington would... I might be willing to stick a quid on Ac- on Stanley to go down. If that were the case, Joe, what what would you give Adrian for his massive wager of a, a whole hundred pennies? If he put a quid on, he'd get four pound back. Accrington <laughs> uh, of four to one. But if we if we look at the relegation market, is we've actually taken a team out, so uh, we've got less teams in the race now. Burton's win against Coventry means that they've been taken out of the betting for relegation. They were 33-1 to 1 last week, so uh, probably drifted to about 50-1 to 1 now. So it now goes up to Wickham at 16-1 to 1 in terms of the, the, the favourites who are in the mix. Wimbledon, 1-10, to 10, obviously. Rochdale, 2-5. to 5. 
Brian Barry Murphy, actually six to four favourite to get the Rochdale job as well. Bradford one to two. So those are the three odds on teams. And then it's anybody from about seven or eight teams there. Walsall two to one, Scunthorpe threes, Oxford, Accrington, Bristol Rovers, Plymouth and Shrewsbury all four to one. Good stuff. League two then, where it's anyone's game as second place Berry earned a win at Stevenage in their fifth minute of stoppage time. That's what teams who go up do. MK Dons win 3-1 at Macclesfield to move to third place, taking the place of Mansfield, who lost to Port Vale amid Valiant's fan protests at the owner. And at the bottom, Notts County lost 4-1 at Cheltenham, where all eyes are at this week, albeit not for the football, but to see if Alan Brazil can make it through the week. Let's start with that game at Vale Park then. The most unlikely result of the weekend. Two Ricky Miller goals in two minutes after Mansfield missed a penalty at 0-0. John Askey, I don't know what to do now as I'm not used to winning. Takes a bit of a, <laughs> takes a bit of the sting out of a protest when the team wins really, doesn't it? Yeah, me and Adrian interviewed him in pre-season oh. and he was in similar uh, form on that day. Um, I listened to that interview actually. It was yeah very honest and he had not had much to cheer about but without... Tom Pope, um, he must have been scratching his head like we have been, where the goals are going to come from. So, step forward, Ricky Miller, David Flickcroft made a change at half-time, but it was actually uh, the right-back uh, of Mansfield. I think he'd gone to a, a back four from the initial three centre-halves that played on Miller to, to just steam forward and get that goal. Big penalty save as well from uh, Scott Brown. That was probably a huge moment in that in that fixture. And but they weren't lucky all across the pitch. They were the better team on the day, and I know we'll come on to MK Dons. But you know, there's been a switch at the top of the table now, considering they've won five on the bounce. I see them as you know stronger contenders than Mansfield uh, and Port Vale. Always felt they'd find a way. Probably didn't think they'd do it without Tom Pope. So you have to credit the manager, David Flickcroft. Not only a, a decent manager, but he's a, a bloody big bugger as well. And I'd be quite scared if I was one of his players. His post-match quotes. I'm expecting one hell of a performance on Tuesday tonight against Crawley. There are questions I'm going to pitch to the players tomorrow. They need to respond, really, don't they? Because yeah. this is not a good look. Glad I'm not, yeah, glad I'm not one of them. Yeah, I would imagine, yeah, there, there would have been stuff thrown around, a few truths being told. 14th there. in the form table at the moment. Yeah, not great, not great. Yeah, but but credit, let's credit Paul Vale here. I've, I've heard that Askey has got them much fitter. I think he's, he's worked them very, very hard on the training ground. Maybe that's why it's taken a while for this performance to come. But ahead of this all-important running, maybe they're they're in good nick. They played at a really high temper, I'm told, in this game, and uh, and that's the reason they won. Those protests from the Port Vale supporters, by the way, were against the owner Norman Smurthwaite, which is another fantastic name, holding up red cards, the supporters did, to, to show their displeasure with him. And Macclesfield won MK Dons 3. Macclesfield in real trouble. Their little revival seems to have finished. Sam, you've looked into this game, and, and as you say, MK Dons, in terms of form, they've turned it around. Yeah, and contrasting opinions, really, on the, the first half from the two managers. Sol Campbell thought they were very much in control, and Paul Tisdale, as we come to know, was very measured and thought that they didn't do too bad in the first half. What They were 1-0 down. What he did do is bring Jordan Houghton on, player we know well from his Chelsea days, very versatile. He went in as a, a third centre-half and got back in the game just before half-time through David Wheeler. And he spoke about you know that the feeling it would have had for the Macclesfield players in their dressing room and also the boost it gave the MK Dons players. David Wheeler scored a hat-trick for the under-23s in the week at Plymouth. 
scored at uh, Macclesfield and they're off to Morecambe tonight. So he's done some travelling, the boy. Good player, David. He's given them a different dynamic at the top end of the pitch. And and yeah, I've looked at the points. I think MK Dons, uh, the fixtures rather, I think they're going to finish above Mansfield. I still... Lincoln and Berry for me are the two best sides. I'm not sure who's going to take the title, but for me, MK Dons now are going to pip Mansfield and Sol Campbell nine changes. And he went back to a lot of players who got him a bit of success at the start. Then he's gone for some different players during the last period when they haven't been so successful. It just smells to me like he doesn't really have a clue what his best team is. And smell of inexperience. Well, yeah, and... You know, seeing a few of the supporters' reaction, I think it's the first time really that he's starting to have a bit of criticism. You know, maybe um, at the end of the day, the squad potentially wasn't good enough when he took over. There's only so much you can do. I said a few weeks ago they'd get out of it. I can't see it now. (laughs) Yeah, I think his post-match quotes were somewhat negative. We have to learn to stay in the game. Just defend properly, cross properly, defend, you know, just keep the ball. Yeah. You looked at Cheltenham for us, Adrian, who wallop knots 4-1. They were in trouble a few weeks ago, but at the, we're going through the names today, at the wonderfully named Johnny Rock Stadium, (laughs) they hammered knots and they've been unbelievable at home. Yeah, brilliant at home. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of tip my hat to Michael Duff, really. 15 points clear of relegation zone now. This is a guy that in his first eight games picked up three points. Three points. You've seen managers sack for less at Notts County, actually. So so well done to Cheltenham for, for sticking with him. The turning point here was, was believe it or not, the Checker Trade Trophy game against Arsenal. They walloped them uh, 6-2. And since then, 1-8 at home, drawn three and lost one. And that is the reason that they're flying. He's also changed it. He's gone three at the back. Lots of different tweaks he's made. I think he's found a good, a good unit at the back. And also a little, little word on Luke Varney, 36. A lot of clubs in the EFL particularly, they have a policy, don't they, of we're not going to sign anyone over a certain age. And I've always thought that that was short-sighted thinking. Why? Sell-on values, they're really that important, are they, at that level? You know, you're not going to make that much money. Not many players are actually sold for big money these days. I think there's always a value in a, in a couple of 30-plus players. And he's 36. He's a good pro and driven. And I think that having someone like him at the top end of the pitch that is dedicated, looks after himself, sets the right example. I just think the value of that type of player is massive. And a lot of managers, a lot of clubs ignore that wrongly, in my view. And Neil Ardley not happy. This is the first time I've come off the field and felt like I can't defend the team. Well, the team can't defend either. Have we been trying to big up this League 2 relegation fight when really it's just going to be Macclesfield and Notts who've been in the relegation places for months? Yeah, I think so. Sorry, Luke Varney, not only a good pro, but my favourite rhyming slang for Sarney. <laughs> what, what, what's your favourite filling in a Luke? And a Luke Varney. Oh, mate, I need more time. I can't just be put on the spot <laughs> on, there. On that, they've lucked out big on time. The rhyming slang for Luke Varney. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just. I'm moving on. I haven't got. <laughs> they've lucked out big time. The Cheltenham players because they're one of. The, they're, I think they're the only team not playing on Tuesday. Or one of the only teams not playing on Tuesday, which means that they're allowed to go to Cheltenham today on the booze. So they're they're playing Friday. So keep your eye on that score and that performance. But the manager has said. I'm letting them go. 
you can't play for Cheltenham and not go to the races. But they've they've lucked out big time because there's a big fixture list in midweek and they haven't got one. And if they're in the hospitality, the quality of the Lukes will be pretty good, oh. won't they? They'll be prawns. Coronation chicken. <laughs> Stevenage nil, Berry won. Berry's best run since 1961. I've been banging on about him for as long as I've been on the show. Nicky Maynard, uh, he's he's done it again, essentially. Yeah, he's signing of the season, isn't he? Uh, I felt for Simon Watts last week because obviously he was training at Oxford and they, they decided they didn't have enough cash to sign him and, and he ends up at Berry and, and, and yeah, he's just been the driving force. 95th minute winner, so quite cruel on my, my old boys at Stevenage. But yeah, Berry, I, I fancy. Quick word on Colchester. They, they've had a little wobble. Terrific win for them, 3-0 at home to Newport. And it was a brilliant goal. I don't know if you've seen it from Frank Nuble. Stunner of it. Footwork was brilliant. And he spanks it top corner from the angle. They've scored some great goals this season, Colchester. They've had a few miserable years, really. Let's be honest, in that part of Essex. It's been it's been all a bit bit downbeat. But they've got good players. Senior is good. Nuble is good. Others. Uh, Sammy Smodix, tremendous uh, goal-scoring midfielder f- that comes from deep to score. So, so Colchester United, don't write them off as possible playoff surprises. I want to talk about Forest Green Rovers and their slump. But before we do that, let's give Morecambe some praise for winning 3-0 against them. They've not had a great time at home this season, but that's a, a big result. Forest Green, though, since the turn of the year, they've won four matches. This was their third defeat in a row. Going on the form table, they're fourth from bottom. OMG for FGR, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I saw them live a few times early part of the season. They play really nice stuff. Defensively, they haven't conceded many goals. You know, if you look at the top half of the table, and it's difficult to put your finger on it, they they had a consistent back three early part of the season. Gunning, Rawson, McGinley. The two wing-backs were Mills and Shepard. Only two of the five in the side at the weekend for various reasons. Campbell, Tavon Campbell up front was a player I enjoyed watching. He gave them pace and directness at the top end of the pitch. He was allowed to leave for Gillingham. I think Mark Cooper's hands were tied to a degree because the player wanted to leave because he had various options. And having Christian Deutsch come back in, I think it's just maybe disrupted the balance a tad, even though he's he's got back and I think he's got four in 11 since he's been back. It's difficult to, to, to pinpoint maybe just the depth uh, of the squad and uh, and some of those reasons that I've just stated, the players in and around Christian Dodge not contributing enough goals and that was a concern of mine when I saw them, the likes of Williams at that point uh, and Campbell of course, I just don't think there's been enough goals in the team probably. Yeah, and let's not forget that they only just stayed up last season, mm. so they've had a decent campaign anyway. Morecambe, Adrian, every season the objective is the, the same for them, not to get relegated. They're eight points clear of trouble now. Looks like they're going to be safe for another it season. It does, yeah. I remember playing against Morecambe every year in the in the conference, or what was known as the conference back then. And even then, they just didn't get very big crowds. You know, lucky to get a thousand. So they've done brilliantly, haven't they, to to stick around in the EFL? They always have these wobbles. They always seem to start well, then then tumble down the down the division, and then stay up at the end. Um, they've got a lot of character. They always have done, and and yeah, that was that was huge. Three 0 against Forest Green. So well done to them. If we have a look at some of the odds then for promotion from League Two, Joe, because we know that we've already condemned Macclesfield and lost to relegation. Sam saying MK over Mansfield for the third place. Uh, do you guys agree with that? Yes, just. If we're looking at the, the promotion betting, 
MK Dons are one to three, Mansfield one to two, suggesting that we think that MK Dons will sneak that third spot. And Adrian also said, don't write off Colchester. Well, we're not. They're uh, odds on to make the, the playoffs. They're, they're favourites, in fact, four to seven to finish in the top seven. Some of the games coming up this weekend to look ahead to. I mean, there's one that leaps off the page, Adrian, in the championship. Leeds against Sheffield United. That'll be a quiet quiet evening at the office, won't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> going to be massive. Really excited to watch this game. Don't know. If, I think if Leeds... If Leeds play like Leeds can in terms of the way they closing down the pressing, the, the the way that they can dominate from the start, that they should have enough. But look, Norwich went to Ellen Road and and wiped the floor with them. Sheffield United, if they if they start to knock that ball around, you, you know, make full use of the width of the pitch, it wouldn't surprise me if they they did a similar job on them. So hard one to call, but but it's a match that you you definitely need to be watching. Elsewhere in Yorkshire, 24 hours earlier, Charlie Big Potato sat in the chair next to you. He's going to be on the telly for Doncaster versus Barnsley. Yes. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Joe was joining me. Have you bought a new suit? No, no, no new suit, no. No, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Yorkshire Derby. Big fan of Doncaster this season, especially going forward. We've not spoke about our mate Kane for a while, have we? Yeah. Old Herbie, who was flavoured a month for me and Adrian for the uh, first few months of the season. He's gone a bit off the boil, hasn't he? But no, I think they've got goals in the team and, and really looking forward to seeing Barnsley, who been fantastic under the new manager this season and, and having to do it without Kiefer Moore at the moment. But one of the most convincing performances of last weekend you, against that. you going to wear a statement suit? No. No? It might be, you can make it your thing. No. <laughs> well, like Tony Adams did. Yeah. <laughs> that went down well. <laughs> I picked out Knotts v Morecambe as the game to, to look forward to in League Two, but we've kind of killed that with our chat about how Knotts are probably down already. So let's look at the FA Cup instead. Swansea against Man City. Swansea will play some nice football and then get beat 4-1 probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, it's... Uh... Swansea are capable, aren't they? They've, they've been doing some, producing some great stuff in bursts. The football, the, the Norwich, they were great. I thought, like, was it last Friday? Yeah, it was the last game, wasn't it? And they they were excellent against them, and they, they probably have their moments against against City. But yeah, you can't, you cannot see them uh, upsetting the odds here. Daniel James, I think, is the guy. Let's give him a bit of credit here because he. I know that he's a Swansea boy and he was quite happy to stay, but he almost joined Leeds. And I have seen players in the past when when that that big move fails to come to fruition go off the rails a bit but he hasn't he's his form has, has stayed very strong yeah that was not a dig at Swansea by the way it's just you are playing Manchester City Sam Millwall against Brighton it's at the den so Millwall are nailed on to win that no oh great opportunity yeah why not I don't know can it keep on happening it happened was it three times last season they beat Premier League opposition and um, Everton this season and Everton well. this season well yeah I mean they create a unique atmosphere down there Brighton will be well prepared for it you, you would think I don't know, you just there's a part of me that thinks it'd be probably for Mill's uh, perspective, probably not a bad thing if they were to go out at this will stage. Will he go full strength, Neil Harris? Yeah, he will do, yeah. yeah Brighton, Brighton probably won't, but he will. I think Neil Harris will, yeah. I don't think he's got the luxury of a, a big squad, but I just think the bigger picture, looking at the fixtures as well, the next few weeks are so tough for Mill in the in the championship. You know, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world, but like I said it's a unique atmosphere they love the FA Cup you just wouldn't bet against them doing it again alright well that's it for today join us next week when a load more scarcely believable stuff will no doubt have happened up and down the land Adrian, Sam, Joe thanks for your company do keep in touch dear listener using at the totally show bye for now 
You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.